Hi, everybody. Katie and I are between seasons 14 and 15. And while we're preparing for next season, we wanted to give you two weeks of just some fun. First, this week, right now, you're going to listen to an old episode from season one about Barbie and Sally Ride. Off of iTunes, most of our episodes disappear because they only hold 100 episodes at a time. So this one being from season one is going to sound a little different, probably a little bit more disorganized. But if you ever are interested in getting some of our older episodes, you can go onto our website and each episode has a download link. So you could download it to your phone so you don't have to stay connected to the internet the entire time you are listening to it. Next week, Katie and I are going to be talking for Avery Bray, a big request, The Women of a Court of Thorns and Roses. So if you haven't read those novels, if you start now, you'll definitely finish by next Thursday. Can't wait to start season 15. Have fun with Barbie. But I did have to go upstairs and dig through our Barbies to just mm. find an outfit that wasn't a Disney princess dress. <laughs> I like this one. It's like bar- <laughs> the Barbie is wearing <laughs> a tie off belly white t-shirt with, is that unicorn? It's a unicorn Pegasus. <laughs> <laughs> a unicorn Pegasus. Some high waisted. Is that a jean short? Shorts. Yeah. Okay. Shorts. And then <laughs> like some, <converse. laughs> you know what so they short. are. They're those shape ups. <laughs> They have such a large soul. You've got to tone that butt. It's like, I think they have to be like that in case the Barbie has pointed feet. Oh, you know what I mean? They that add makes the, sense. They add the big soul. Yeah. Because they look... <laughs> this is like a 2010 Barbie. They're made more cheaply now. Really? If you feel them, they're different. Hmm. We'll talk about why. Because <laughs> the Barbies of my childhood were <laughs> of the utmost quality. <laughs> Yes, their plastic had lead in it. So Allie and I have not recorded in weeks. So Katie decided to be a world traveler like an asshole. Decided to go to Europe. So we went to Amsterdam and Brussels. And at the point where this is releasing, it's probably been like two months. But yeah, yeah, yeah. um, And I got engaged, and exciting. (laughs) Yeah. So if you are listening to this now, when it releases, I'm probably waist deep in wedding planning yes <laughs> i'm not helping no <laughs> ali said no thank you i hate you i'm not helping you plan your wedding i've done that before <laughs> it's too bad no mm. it'll be fine yeah, it'll be totally fine <laughs> no problem but very very exciting super fun and i don't know i'm just really excited to be back in the studio yeah. We haven't been back here in a while. No, it's super fun. I've missed it. I missed it. It's, too. An, it's a really good excuse to get drunk on a Thursday uh, night. I mean, not I that I needed it yeah. since college. <laughs> well, welcome. Well, welcome. This is Herstory on the Rocks. I'm Katie. And I'm Allie. And this is a podcast where we talk about awesome women in history. Real and not real. Real and not real. We're white. We're super white. Real middle class. <laughs> We have um, <laughs> degrees in history and women's studies, but only mm-hmm. bachelors. Only bachelors. So everything we've done is listen to podcasts and expand on things that people say in public. And we mm-hmm. think, huh, is that real? Mm-hmm. A lot of Google searches. Mm-hmm. Um, keywords are <laughs> very important in those searches. 
<laughs> Got to put an asterisk on the end. <laughs> do you do that on your search terms? No, only if it's in like a database oh, or okay. database, mm-hmm. whatever you want to say. But <laughs> in my in my everyday Google search, I say a data. You say a data. <laughs> That's not a thing. <laughs> you said it the both ways. <laughs> data. I mean, Woo. it's fine. Four sips of wine in. Hey. <laughs> I also had a hard cider before you came. So oh, let's be real. Nice. So I would like to talk about what our ladies look like and get a little physical. Physical. So Barbie. She <laughs> has Barbie's who I'm doing this week. Obviously, she's our fictional friend for the evening. She has very long, straight, blonde hair and bright blue eyes. Her hair's changed multiple times through history, the style, and we'll talk about that as we go. She weighs seven and a fourth ounces and is 11.5 inches tall. She has a five inch bust, a three and a fourth inch waist, and a five and three sixteenth inch hips. Which, for an actual human person, would make her five nine and a hundred and ten pounds, which is real thin. Mm-hmm. That is all the thin. I mean, I'm five four and like one hundred and twenty five pounds, and I'm a size four. So if you're five nine yeah. and one hundred and ten pounds, you're yeah. like thin, thin. So. The University of Central Hospital in Finland did a research study (laughs) on Barbie, and they said that she would have a 36 bust, 18 waist, 38 hips, which would make her dangerously anorexic, 35 pounds underweight, and that Barbie's specs would make her unable to menstruate if she was a real woman. Barbie girl, come on. (laughs) Get it together. (laughs) Uh, I do not have those details on Sally Ride. <laughs> well, let's just be clear. <laughs> These are all yeah. plastic molds. To, and that's also, true. let's bring up the word plastic while we're here. It, that's her main description. And now mm-hmm. it's become vernacular to describe women as plastic when they're mm-hmm. overdone. So that true. comes from Barbie. Hmm. Uh, well, Sally Ride is who I'm doing. Um, and I've just been replaying... <laughs> that song in my head but i'm instead of ticket try to go i've got a sally to ride <laughs> and it just sounds ridiculous um so sally ride was five five with brown hair brown highs and <laughs> i'm sorry brown highs <laughs> what, what kind of what kind of highs did she have again <laughs> so sally ride was five five with brown hair brown eyes and an athletic build Uh, She's most known for sporting either a Dorothy Hamilton (laughs) bob kind of cut. Okay. Like straight hair. (laughs) Uh, But when she went into space, she had like big curly hair. Um, My theory is that curly hair would be more manageable in space because I feel like if you have very like straight hair, which is what she had before, it would like fly around and it'd be hard to tame. But she had like a perm kind of thing. Yeah. Held Um, it tight. High and tight. Oh, yeah. Very like late 80s hairdos. Mm -hmm. Um. And that's pretty much all I have <laughs> for Sally Ride. I feel like I've only ever seen her in a blue jumpsuit with an oh, yeah. American flag on it. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. like her sole outfit. Her astronaut uniform. <laughs> <laughs> well. So why don't you tell me what you know about... Well, wait. Let me tell you about my drink. Yes. I want to hear about this drink because I want to start drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm really excited. We've only been drinking wine and that's not as fun. So this cocktail is called the Hot Pink Barbie Drink. Mm. And online, it comes in both 
alcoholic and non-alcoholic, so you could serve it at a kid's birthday party. It is one ounce of Malibu, one ounce of vodka, one ounce of cranberry juice, one ounce of orange juice, and one ounce of pineapple juice with a lime garnish. And when I made it's on the rocks, but when I made it, it wasn't pink enough. So I added two splashes of red food coloring <laughs> because I was unhappy with the pink. It wasn't Barbie pink. Perfect. Perfect. Well, cheers. Cheers. Let's taste it. I haven't tasted it all yet. Tastes like fruit juice. Yep. Tastes like punch. <laughs> Coconut punch. Excellent. I'm serving this at the kid's birthday party. Mm-hmm. I think I already spilled some of it. <laughs> um, Lots of it, apparently. Uh. So... I really feel like, I really feel like we have to do this before anything. <laughs> I wanted to just start there this evening. Is <laughs> that the beginning of Barbie Girls? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Aqua, for track three. Thank you so much. That's all we needed for to know. all your contributions. <laughs> all your contributions. All your one contribution <laughs> to Barbie. <laughs> so. I want to start with the popularity of Barbie, and then I got to break her down into two different sections. So last year, Barbie sold over a billion dollars, B as in billion dollars worth of merchandise. Every second, there are, or it might be every minute, there are two Barbies sold. Most women or girls own an average of eight Barbie dolls, which is... Definitely an under under average for this house. <laughs> the media franchise, we have to remember in that billion dollars, is books, video games, computer games, movies, makeup, hair stuff, TV shows, movies, music, etc. You had to have those Barbie floppy disks. I mean, it was dead serious. I had a Barbie... No CD-ROM. Yes. <laughs> I had a Barbie computer CD-ROM game where she was like on a ranch with a horse. And nice. I played it constantly. <laughs> constantly i played that game um they were the first mattel was like the first company to really use tv ads and that was something i saw in that toy documentary on (gasps) yes um, the toys that built us yeah toys that made us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um other companies then like copied that so it's a big reason for their success and then obviously her likeness has been used in things like aqua barbie girl and even in things like toy story where she's such an iconic toy that she is used as part of the cast Mm -hmm. so that's important but I want to break this down into fictional and non-fictional because as I'm talking about the fictional character of Barbie, we're going to have to talk about her creator as well, which is a real story and a little bit darker than the Barbie part of it. Not super dark, but mm-hmm. it's not fictional, so we can't make her the way we want to make her. So right. I want to start with Miss Barbara Millicent Roberts, whose nickname is Barbie. <laughs> was that like, was it always her nickname? Yes. Barbie was always her nickname. Barbara is Ruth Handler's daughter. So the doll is named after the creator's daughter. Oh, okay. So, so okay. Ruth Handler is the, the creator, the, creator the co-founder and, of Mattel. Okay. And gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Barbara Millicent Roberts has such a rich history because of the fandom. When I was looking up Barbie's friends and family, there are cousins friends you know the names of the friends parents you know the maiden names of her friends parents there's like article after article if you just go on wikipedia and type in like barbie's friends and family it is a 
15 page document of descriptions of her friends and family. So she was introduced at the American toy fair on March 9th, 1959, which is considered to be Barbie's birthday. Mm -hmm. She is the daughter of George, who was an engineer and Margaret Roberts, who is a homemaker. Her maiden name was Rollins (laughs) from the fictional town of Willows with Wisconsin and her town changes between stories, but she originally went to Willows High School in Wisconsin, but she's also been in high schools in Malibu, Hollywood, and Manhattan. <laughs> was her dad in the army? Was he an army engineer? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that should have been written into the story. Yes. <laughs> she's sense. never been not 19, so she right. just bounces around and doesn't age, and wherever they need to write her story, they write it. Makes so sense. that's an interesting part of it. Yeah. Barbie's siblings the most popular and earliest one added was skipper and she's her 14 year old Mm. younger sister then we have anastasia which we call stacy yeah that's her full name yeah i didn't know that until i did this research then there's todd and tootie which are the younger (laughs) brother and sister twins but tootie was renamed kelly so we all have kelly Kelly. yes (laughs) tootie i don't remember that was a bad name bad name choice The most popular younger sibling now, I think, is Chelsea. She's like the eight-year-old that you see always on, like, with the horses. Like, Barbie's teaching her how to ride a horse or teaching her how to do gymnastics. Okay, I think she was in the Barbie Nutcracker movie that I had. She was teaching her ballet. Mm -hmm. And then the baby you always see Barbie with is Christine or Chrissy. So that mom was busy. (laughs) What a rich universe. (laughs) And one boy, just Todd, amongst all these little girls... (laughs) Um, her best friend, the earliest friend added was Midge. Midge has a, yeah, (laughs) she has a first middle and last name. She's the redhead with the freckles and she's a little less busty, which Mm -hmm. made her like acceptable to the people at the time. (laughs) Um, Hispanic Barbie is Teresa. African American Barbie is Christy. I remember Teresa because I got Danny a Teresa Barbie doll and she was really excited because that's Aunt Terry's yeah. name is Teresa, right. which I didn't even know. <laughs> and that was scary. like a really big deal. <laughs> I always had Teresa dolls because they have more olive skin and the dark Ooh. hair. Mm-hmm. And I just always picked a Teresa doll because I felt like she looked more like me than yeah. the brunette Barbie doll. That's how I, exactly yeah. how I felt too. So I think lots of little girls do that. So mm-hmm. Christie's boyfriend, the African-American male Barbie is Steven. And then Raquel is the technical brunette Barbie, but she's slowly over time come to look more Asian American and mm-hmm. has like a mixed ancestry. And Raquel is like her frenemy who's like <laughs> on the shows, always competing with her for stuff, <laughs> especially in the recent Barbie in the, Barbie Life in a Dream House, which is on Netflix, and it comes off as really stupid at first, but if you watch it, it is hysterical. Is that the girl that's always like, I wanted to have a pool party, Yes, Barbie's having a different pool party, and she has a slide, because <laughs> yes. I know your daughter's watching, and like, they love it, and I at first going was, on. <laughs> I was like, this is a really horrible show, and then the more I watched it, I realized they were making fun of like themselves. Like, it's super satirical. Yes, it's very satirical, which is funny in itself. So her most popular companion is her on again, off again relationship with Kenneth Sean Carson. (laughs) What a 90s name. My God. (laughs) He is the Kendall. I know it wasn't made in the 90s, but it sounds like he sounds like a Backstreet Boy. He looks like a Backstreet Boy. (laughs) And his mother's name is Edna. Just in case you're wondering. (laughs) That's the best part. Um... 
So other than that, Barbie has 40 pets, including cats, dogs, and horses. But because she spent so much time working in zoos, ranches, and other things like aquariums, she has pandas, dolphins, lion cubs, and even zebras in her possession. (laughs) She might have snakes. I don't know about that. I'd have to Google her 40 pets. Um, She has a range of vehicles, including her famous pink convertible, which is sometimes a Corvette, sometimes a Mustang, and most recently a Volkswagen Beetle, which is adorable. (laughs) And she also has a um, mint green camper trailer, Mm -hmm. which we see a lot, and it has a awning that you can pull out (laughs) and she has her pink jeep wrangler Mm -hmm. barbie holds a pilot license and operates a commercial airline where she sometimes serves as a flight attendant (laughs) (laughs) she owns the airline but she's the flight attendant (laughs) and she's had over 150 careers which were designated to show that women could be anything they dreamed including astronaut doctor nascar driver and president (laughs) So that's the fictional Barbie. Mm, obviously. <laughs> and I love it. Ooh, man. What a... I didn't realize the universe went that deep. It is so big. <laughs> there is a convention in Orlando every year. I just like solely to go. For Barbie. I would like to go too. <laughs> but they auction off Barbies that go for twenty, thirty thousand dollars Oh, I'm sure. Like, insane. I can't. I can't. So... Now to the real history of Barbie. Okay. This is this is the good stuff. So Ruth Handler was born in Denver in 1916, and she did not play with dolls. She meets her husband, Elliot, at the age of 16, and they get married five years later. He's like an artist, and they move to California. They start a business making doll furniture and co-found Mattel. Hmm. So they're making furniture for doll houses. And... This is in 1945. Ruth was out selling the stuff and he was the artist like making the the stuff, which was really weird. And in an interview, she since she passed away in 2002, but I watched a lot of interviews where she was speaking. And one of the things she said that stuck out to me was I always considered myself a fluke because there was nobody else like me. I love my children, but I wasn't suited to taking care of a home. Mm. So in her time, she's a woman out selling things, which right. was super rare. Mm-hmm. She has two kids, Barbara and Kenneth. <laughs> cool. All right, now it's crossing a line. <laughs> They're siblings. <laughs> They're siblings that are dating, apparently. I don't like that. <laughs> and she said that... <laughs> I know. She said that her Barbara, at least she felt like it resented her a little bit because everybody else's mothers were available all the time. Mm. And she was just not available because she was working. Um, so Ruth watched her daughter play with baby dolls and paper dolls all the time, but she would give them adult roles and there was no such thing as an adult doll. Like that didn't exist. So everybody was just playing mother and she pitched, uh, an adult female doll to the men at Mattel who she co-founded who were working for her and they just weren't having it. They were like, this is not a good idea. So then her family went on vacation um, to Switzerland and like Germany and they found this really sexy grown-up doll named Build Lily, B-I-L-D-L-I-L-L-I. She just mm. goes by Lily doll and 
she was very sultry and was not meant for children. They like would, she was a collector's item. People would set her on the shelf and like people would buy her for bachelorette parties and like give them oh. to brides, like kind of like a little seductive thing. But she brought the Lily doll back to the United States and forms it into what is today Barbie. Now, eventually she, the Mattel company does get sued by the Louis Marks and company doll whatever and they mm-hmm. do settle out of court so they did yeah. have to pay them for I imagine stealing so. the forms <laughs> yeah because <laughs> I mean you know basically you, you took stole it, it. You took yeah it. <laughs> but there's this sea of men and she they don't like the idea of a grown-up doll and she pushes it and pushes it and she's like look g- every girl is not going to want to take care of a baby. It's not fair that all they play with is babies. Maybe they want to pretend that they're an attorney. Maybe they want to pretend they're a nurse or whatever was an acceptable job Mm -hmm. for women back then. Probably not attorney, (laughs) but they were very against the doll because she had, they had breasts. Mm. They were like, we cannot give a little girl a doll with breasts. And that was so beyond what Ruth understood. She was like, why? She's just an adult female. Adult females have breasts. Like, right. It's not. (laughs) And it's not also, it's like, it's of their own gender too. It's not like I'm giving a doll to a child with a massive penis. (laughs) It's very weird that they were, they were very against it. But I guess in the 1950s, that was like, you know, sultry. I guess so. Hmm. Boobies on a doll. I don't know. <laughs> it's weird. So again, she debuts in 1959. Her eyes do not look straight forward, which is new for dolls. They're like mm. downcast. So if you look up the first Barbie, she's in that white and black striped bathing suit. Yes. Her hair is in a ponytail. She was sold in blonde and brunette, but it's the same mold. Super fair skin. She was sold for $3 and her job was she was a 19 year old teenage model in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> So, I don't know. I I wish they had like a prototype of like the doll that was going to be like her manager because I'm sure he's so skeevy. Yes. <laughs> oh, poor Barbie. That's a terrible beginning. It is a terrible old beginning. model in Wisconsin. <laughs> I know. Wisconsin, we love you, but come on. <laughs> it's cold. Why are you wearing a bathing suit? Yeah, why are you wearing a bathing suit? <laughs> the real question. We're going to get so many messages from Wisconsin. Like, it's warm here. (laughs) Too bad. We have summer. Sorry, Wisconsin. It's not all winter. (laughs) Not where I come from. (laughs) So, in the 1960s, she gets the Jackie O bubble cut. And they are selling the ponytail Barbie and the bubble cut Barbie kind of in the same outfit. (laughs) But they lighten her lips and her eyebrows. Um, But she still has the sideward gaze and her hair just becomes more full in the 60s this is when she meets and falls in love with ken there's not like a marriage per se right like there's bridal barbies but there's Mm -hmm. never like this story where they officially get married so it's kind of like the mini mickey thing where they're a continuous couple but there's no dependence on the other half right and it doesn't seem like the storylines have to connect anywhere for them no it's like they're on a picnic one day they're not together another day. Did you have that golden book? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I go right there in I my think head. I got it from you. <laughs> Probably. So, Barbie gets her dream house in 62. 
Her home with the elevator? Not yet. Ooh, no elevators. Dang. The first dream house was like a cardboard box that folds <laughs> open. And like all the dream houses were like that until the 90s and 2000s. Barbie was not a multimillionaire until she worked for it, girl. <laughs> she worked for it. It took decades to get that elevator. Wow, working woman. She really is. So she gets her friends. She gets Midge and Skipper in the 60s. She also gets, which we're going to have to talk about this again in the 80s, but she gets colored Francie is the actual name of the doll. Oh, no. They, like, wrote that on the box? That's... <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Was she named after Frances Cleveland? I do not know. <laughs> Frances Cleveland, like, famously, like, opened this home for, like, colored women, but it was, like, called, like, the home for, like, friendless colored women. <laughs> it's, like, a really, like, brutal name. <laughs> so probably was so named probably. after they... But Colored Francie is her name, and she's made with the same mold as the white Barbie doll, but just has a different darker skin. skin tone. Okay. So the hair is just darker. The skin tone is just darker, and that is corrected at least a little bit in the 80s. <laughs> Not fully, but at least a little bit. So she gets um, a makeover as she's coming up on the 70s. Her hair gets a little more streak and sleek and straight her eyes get rounder but you've got the first controversial issue at the end of the Mm. 60s so babysitter barbie is introduced and sleepover barbie is introduced Mm -hmm. now babysitter barbie has all these accessories which is totally fine that you would take to babysit sleepover barbie has all these accessories fine but she's in jammies instead of traditional clothes and they didn't like that the elastic waistband on the jammies made her look wider so they made the barbie a bunch skinnier Hmm. So that when she was in the jammies, she would still look her traditional hourglass shape. Um, but both of these Barbies came with a little book in the package called How to Lose Weight. <gasps> no. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Why? I don't know. And when you opened the book, what there was one page. It said, don't eat. That... It's literally like if someone was making fun of Barbie, that's what they would do. Accurate. That's horrendous. Yes, it is. And Sleepover Barbie came with a bathroom scale that was permanently set to 110 pounds. I can't, Katie. Is that how we know how much she weighs? (laughs) That's how we know. I haven't weighed 110 pounds since I was 10. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. <laughs> it is rough. So that's the end of the '60s. But coming into the '70s, they try to embrace the counterculture, and they take away her mini skirt, and they give her like a maxi skirt, and make her hair a little looser, and like part it in the middle. Doesn't last long because <laughs> nobody's, sure. nobody's buying that Barbie. Nobody wants hippie Barbie. Hippie Barbie. <laughs> I bet that goes for a lot of money. I bet it doesn't last very long. <laughs> She had like a tie-dye jumpsuit with one of those like leather sleeveless vests. Was she like, Phoebe? Friends. Yes. From Friends? Mm-hmm. She absolutely was Phoebe because she'll be there for you. And by 1971, they bailed on that and in comes Malibu Barbie. All the way in the 70s? In the 70s. I feel like that's the most legendary one. Right. I agree that it's the most legendary one. It's not the one that sold the most, though. That doesn't really? come until the 90s, which is crazy. But she gets her long, flowing hair, and this is the first time she does not have porcelain skin. They now mm. change Barbie's skin to be tan, which is something she has never been sun-kissed before. <laughs> and they also show her teeth now 
in the 70s. She's smiling instead of like smirky pouting. Mm-hmm. And which is much to the delight of the feminist movement, but it didn't say why. So I want your <laughs> feelings on this. She now has a straightforward gaze. gaze. So she's looking straight ahead instead of to the side. I imagine that like women are always like downcast into the side. It's like they're not like looking right at you. So they're not as serious. Like, right. you know, I don't know. There's... No eye contact maybe. Yeah. I think maybe that's it. Or I don't know. Kind of like the office secretaries in Mad Men, like look away. Maybe. Almost like don't look at what we're doing. Just do your job yeah. and walk away. Yeah. Because I feel like the straightforward look gives her more power in a way. Yeah. Like maybe that's it. I'm not really sure. Honestly. Yeah, I know. I'm not either. That's why I was like, this is weird the way yeah. that they said that it was welcomed by the feminist movement. So I don't know. She gets a lot of career changes. Or maybe she can just, it's more like, oh, Barbie can see where she's going now because <laughs> she can see. She's got to be able to surf in Malibu. Yeah. <laughs> she can't be looking down. Um, she gets a lot of career changes in the 70s. She wins two Olympic medals, one in downhill skiing and one in figure skating. She becomes a surgeon. She's also a flight attendant by 73. She wins two Miss America pageants, which is a big deal because you can't do it again once you win. <laughs> and she's a ballerina and an actress. During this, it's the rise of big time feminism in the 70s. And Barbie begins to become the enemy. And she starts getting attacked, and those attacks have never stopped to this day. And that has been a big pain of Ruth Handler's life, Mm. that she never stopped being attacked for this. Um, And she openly says, like, my goal wasn't to be a social activist. Like, people assume that's what I wanted. I never dreamed of trying to change the world. I just wanted to show what the world was. And when I first made Barbie, women weren't doctors. So I didn't make a Barbie doctor. And then when women were doctors, we made Barbie doctors. Like, I just kept up with the times. I wasn't ahead of them. And she gets criticized for that. That is such a good point, though. Yeah. Like... (laughs) It is. Like the only thing she was kind of ahead of was like, oh, not all women want to, not all little girls want to be mothers. Right. And that's about it. But like. Other than that, she just kind of kept pace. Yeah. And has been heavily criticized for keeping pace. Yeah. So, I mean, that does stink for her. And we'll go into that more later with the body image thing, because that is the biggest issue. Mm Mm-hmm. So in the 80s, we get the very avant-garde Barbie clothes with like the huge puffy sleeves and the big Mm -hmm. curly hair. That's when she gets her signature blue eyeshadow and pink lipstick. (laughs) And she's got leotards and leg warmers. She's got the whole deal. Um, She starts getting amazing careers. So in 1985, she becomes an astronaut along with all of the other Barbies of different races. Um, She has now um colored francie obviously it was phased out a long time ago um and now in the 80s they introduced christy and christy like we said was not out of the original mold of the white barbie so they made a focus group of african-american children parents early childhood specialists psychologists and they came up with a skin tone a hair texture names facial features and a new body mold that would be acceptable for the african-american culture Mm -hmm. that they could sell with barbie so the first african-american barbie christie has more natural hair more natural skin more natural facial features so she looks like she could be real the way that barbie looks like she's a real white girl Mm -hmm. so 
It's, well, real. Yeah. <laughs> as real as you can get. <laughs> and um, they also, in the 80s, introduced the first Latina Barbie, which is Teresa, who we mm-hmm. talked about a little bit earlier. Um, so Barbie was a big era of change, but that's really all they introduced in the 80s, other than some super neon clothing. <laughs> the 90s is the biggest moneymaker for Mattel. So this is at us as kids. Oh, yeah. We were the moneymakers for Mattel hands down i believe it (laughs) barbie becomes more diverse she's still blonde with blue eyes that's still the top seller her hair gets longer she keeps her tiny waist and her large chest and her toothy grin she keeps her blue eyeshadow and pink lipstick god damn it i don't understand but she gets some careers such as rapping (laughs) delivering babies and traveling across the world she, the number one selling Barbie of all time is the totally hair Barbie, which really? was the one that had 10.5 inches of hair. She's <laughs> 11.5 inches tall. I mean, oh, long blonde crimped hair all the way down and girls could like style it and whatever. There was also things like glitter Barbie and bath mm. blast Barbie and all that fun stuff. In 97, they made a Barbie in a wheelchair, but a girl from Tacoma, Washington with cerebral palsy pointed out that the wheelchair did not fit in the dream house elevator. So <gasps> Mattel had to revamp the dream house <laughs> to make sure that the wheelchair could fit in the elevator. Cause Miss Barbie with legs could walk up the damn steps. Right. Like the elevator should be for <laughs> We're going to make an elevator, but only for the Barbie that can walk. <laughs> <laughs> like, what a horrible idea. Who didn't check that? Oh, my gosh. Tell I me. feel like that question comes up so many times in, like, Mattel's history. Who didn't check that? <laughs> Why didn't anyone look into this? Body image becomes a big deal. By 1998, mm-hmm. she gets a smaller chest. Uh, a little bit of a bigger waist and her signature pointed toes are flattened so that she can wear Doc Martens. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me love her. Oh my gosh. Was there grunge Barbie? I wish. I don't think there's like punk rock Barbie though. There's like (laughs) rocker Barbies. Jewel. uh, Um, gem, 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 jewel, gem. Who knows? There are (laughs) punk rock Barbies. So, Ruth is very adamant that she does not believe that the Barbie doll causes body type issues. I'm going to say that it is a contributor. Yeah. But she is like flat out against it. But in the 90s, we start to see the thing that has been named Barbie syndrome, which is where people desire to look physically like a Barbie. So they get all this plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. Really, they have what's body dysmorphic disorder yeah but it's nicknamed barbie syndrome yeah so barbie is popular enough that it and i mean if you google this you can see the women who've had the cosmetic surgery oh yeah who who look like this so in the 1990s talking barbie comes out and the simpsons have a spoof on this oh i remember this and it's not quite a spoof it's real so really it's real they put out a Barbie that has 270 phrases and they did that because they wanted all the Barbies to say different things. So only 1.5% of the Barbies say this particular phrase, but there's a whole bunch of stereotypical things like I love shopping and let's go do our hair, which would be fine if they didn't also include things such as math, math class is tough. Mm. 
And they caught huge flack for math class is tough. Even the Simpsons do a spoof of it where Bart and Lisa have a conversation in the bedroom where her Barbie is saying, math is hard. Her Malibu Stacy. <laughs> Malibu Stacy. <laughs> so that is a big deal. It's a problem in the 90s also that Barbie is not conservative enough for the Islamic culture. So in Saudi Arabia, they ban Barbie and they start a doll called Fula. And Fula is Barbie, but she has a hijab hmm. and conservative clothing. And while she is not produced by Mattel, they licensed her. So they're oh, allowed. So they could have one. Yes, okay, they, that's they're nice. allowed to sell her. So the 2000s. We are in the new millennia. They, she's becoming more and more realistic. Mm-hmm. They um, soften much of her makeup. They take away the eyeshadow. She gets a belly button for the first time. <laughs> I thought you were going to say belly button ring. No, <laughs> there is a tattoo Barbie com- that comes out that was really controversial that I didn't write down. There's like temporary tattoos and parents mm. were really upset about it, but whatever. We both have tattoos, so right. who cares? In... um. She gets a smaller chest again, wider hips, bigger butt, mm-hmm. all that. Um, but in in the past, Barbie has had cars and homes and accessories that fit her careers. But she really becomes a partier in the mm. 2000s. She gets a pool with a slide and an elevator. And, you know, she's got a canopy bed and she's got a limo, a pink limo and a <laughs> closet the size of, you know, can. Connecticut. What's a small state? I was, and then I was like, wait, that's not small enough. Rhode Island? Connecticut. Rhode Island's smaller, but Connecticut. Connecticut, okay. And it's not that small. It's not not (laughs) smaller, Rhode Island. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) It's not the Vatican City over here. (laughs) It's Connecticut. So she, in the 2000s, becomes single. What? Ken and Barbie break up in 2004. Mattel says that they have grown apart. So two dolls that were literally made for each other (laughs) are now separate. And um, it's a big deal. They say Barbie's independent and it just wasn't working out anymore. In this time, she dates Blaine Gordon, who is an Australian surfer. And um, they had a widely publicized split. And then she gets back with Ken. Of course. Of course she does. Of course she gets back with Ken. She gets back with Picnic Boy. He's been there all along. What a saga. I just can't. (laughs) So um, today, present day, Barbie... Has modern makeup. She's got pulled back bangs. She has a pink dress. There's a line for adults that has 12 different facial features, different hair, different ethnicity, different heights. They're collectors. They all wear these really sleek black dresses. Mm. Um, but there was this girl or person who made, I'm pretty sure a girl, who made that average Barbie, which was all over the internet. And it compared Barbie to like an actual 19 year old girl. And they Mm. put them side by side. And then it was like on Buzzfeed and all over Facebook. And Mattel caught a lot of flack for that. So in 2016, they release three new body types, curvy, petite, and tall, along with their traditional size Barbie. They also released 22 new eye colors and 33 new hairstyles. Um, So she's much more inclusive and their sales actually go up, which they had been dropping the years before that because they were, didn't have enough ethnicities. People weren't buying dolls that looked like them Mm -hmm. and people were 
buying more like PC dolls because they wanted their girls to do something different. Mm -hmm. Now, the curvy Barbie, which is often referred to as the fat Barbie, is really only a size four if you size her up to like a real person. But because she's put next to the other Barbies, she looks so much bigger. Mm-hmm. But Time Magazine, who is super supportive of Barbie, has this like cover story. Now can we stop talking about my body? <laughs> <laughs> Since they put all these new things, which is so hysterical for me. And we'll get to how I feel about that in a second because it is like the big conundrum I've had with researching this. Yeah. So to end off with Ruth Handler, before I talk about my opinion, (laughs) she wrote an autobiography called dream doll. And this was not easy for her. Ruth and Elliot, they were married the whole time. They were married for like 53 years or something Mm -hmm. like that. They were worth a few hundred million dollars, but in the seventies there were like some tax sale paper records Mm. that became a big problem and they were indicted and she claims she never did anything illegal but something in her company was done illegally and she got five years community service and um she's since then really doubted her achievements so she feels like she just she can't prove herself and her whole life she was fighting in a group of all men to prove herself as a businesswoman, as a saleswoman, which was really hard in that time. Mm-hmm. And then her son, Kenneth, dies of a brain tumor. Oh, my gosh. And then she is, well, not, and then she had been diagnosed with breast cancer for a really long time. In the 70s, she had a mastectomy, and it was crushing for her after fighting for Barbie to get breasts Ugh. for so long. She now is down a breast and is wearing a prosthetic and absolutely hates it. She ends up getting another mastectomy and loses her other breast. Mm. But in this time of trial for her, she realizes that everybody creating these prosthetic breasts are men. So she teams up with doctors and the Mattel creators and creates nearly me prosthetic breasts and becomes a millionaire again off of selling these breasts that you can wear in a bra that look real, that don't slide off. So for women who lose their breasts to breast cancer, have something they can wear to feel whole again. That's amazing. I didn't know that. I know. Oh my gosh. I love that. I do too. And I think it's so, I mean, obviously I have a friend who's had a double mastectomy and she did get breast implants, but she was like, look, they're just boobs. Cut them off. I lost my nipples. I lost everything, but Mm. cut them off. Mm -hmm. Like they're just boobs, but they aren't just boobs. Like we know our culture. There's a Mm -hmm. massive, massive difference to saying they're just i mean it takes a brave person right to say that a hugely brave person um so in the end she says look barbie is far more important than i ever could have understood like i didn't i did not hindsight's 2020 i didn't Mm -hmm. know i could not have predicted how much i was going to change every american household and households all across the world Mm -hmm. so blame me if you want for some of the issues in 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 the united states and Mm -hmm. in the world with body image but i don't i don't know what else to do yeah so here's the conundrum that i've had while researching which i've had while researching a lot of the women we've researched so far is that It's hard to say how you feel about them because obviously there's the body image thing, right? Mm -hmm. With Barbie, which is so real. You can't say that's not real. There's research. Like it is, it is 
definitely affecting the minds of young girls and women and boys. Mm-hmm. But then you've got like these brats and monster high dolls who are like baby whores. Oh my right? gosh. I was, I was going to, I was wondering when you were going to bring up the yeah. brats dolls. Cause I know that that hit, took a big hit on Mattel's market. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's insane because just because they're purple or their hair is blue or like whatever, they can wear like booty shorts and thigh high boots and nobody mm-hmm. says a damn thing. Yeah. They are just like, okay, she's not real. Yeah. They're in like fishnet stockings yeah. and have like insane makeup and yeah. like just are wearing like bras, like plaid mini skirts and fishnet stockings. Yeah. Like I always thought the brat stalls were like crazy risque. Yeah. They're super slutty and not yeah. to slut shame, but they're super slutty. Yeah. And like everybody's on Barbie. Like she's too thin. She has too much makeup. Her boobs are too big, but she looks like a human. Well, yeah. Well, and also the problem I always had with brat stalls when I was a kid, I was like, but what are they? Like Barbie had jobs. She had things to do. She had relationships. Like the brat stalls were like literally just like nasty teenager. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and it's like, I feel bad for Barbie. Yeah. She's been working every damn day <laughs> since 1959. She pays her mortgage on a multi-million dollar house. <laughs> She's got insurance on like seven vehicles. She's got an elevator repairman on call. On call. They got to <laughs> upsize the elevator for her friends that are in wheelchairs. She is like a real person. And... They came out in like the late recently, like 2014, 16-ish with a hashtag unapologetic for Barbie. Like, I'm not going to apologize for what I look like, which is, I think, one of the most feminist statements they could make. And in Times Square, there was this big billboard that said, be you, be bold, be unapologetic. And because she's been a surgeon and an astronaut and she has a doctorate in astrophysics and she was in the Mm -hmm. Olympics and the president and danced with the Rockettes and was in the WNBA. Just like all of those women, people cannot stop talking about what she looks like. That is such a good point. It's such a problem. It is such a problem. And her name, Barbie's name is even used as a slur towards other women. So like Wendy Davis was, um, in the state Senate in Texas, and she's a blonde Democrat, and she did an 11-hour filibuster um, about abortion rights, mm-hmm. and then some of the right-wing senators called her Abortion Barbie. Oh, my God. So, I, like, it's just her... Barbie's name is used as a slur, even though, like, you could potentially look at that and say, that's such a huge compliment, because Barbie's right. been a president. So right. <laughs> what, are, what are you saying about me? So I guess the, the turmoil that I'm having is, yes, she has inhuman dimensions and they mm-hmm. do impact girls, but we're using that as an excuse to not fix our own mental issues. Mm-hmm. Like my, the way I mother my children is much more important than me banning Barbies from my household. Right. If I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, I hate myself. I shouldn't eat that. I look so fat today. Like those things affect my kids far more mm-hmm. than the way Barbie looks. Right. So I'm sad that we spend so little time talking about Barbie's resume and so much time talking about her looks. Yeah. Very well put. So, is well, Ru- most of that is Time Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is Ruth Handler still alive? She died in 2002. Okay. So re- she recently died, but there are 
interviews from her all over YouTube. You can watch interviews. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's a ton on her. I mean, yeah, why aren't we talking about that? That she owned a company. You know what I mean? Right. In 1945, a woman? Amazing. Come now. Come on now. <laughs> Cheers to Barbie and to Ruth. Cheers to Barbie. Cheers. <laughs> All right. Drink I gotta, break. I got to mix up some tang. I'm ready for the tang. <laughs> Welcome back to Herstory on the Rocks. I hope you made the new drink. I hope you did too because it looks delicious. It's orange. Yellow? It is orange and yellow and it's so cute and it is my favorite part and the only reason. <laughs> I mean, obviously it was like one of the only few Sally Ride cocktails because there's not that many. <laughs> what? Um, it's called the Ride Sally Ride. and <laughs> Ride Sally Ride. <laughs> Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the whole, the cocktail glass is rimmed with tang. You mean outer space tang? <laughs> yes. Was it imported here from the International Space Station? No, it was imported from the 1980s. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Barbie's hair. New time. <laughs> uh, so it is rimmed with tang, uh, which I bought only for this. I, uh, Casey really wants to drink it, but that's besides I mean, point. what are you going to do with the rest of it? I guess really I'll drink, drink it. it. It's kind of gross. It's, so sh- it's all sugar. <laughs> Just de- oh, I don't know. I don't know. Put it in your coffee. <laughs> Ew! That's the <laughs> worst thing to do with it. You psychopath. <laughs> um, so it's rimmed with tang, and then you put two ounces of fresh orange juice, one and a half ounces of rum. We used coconut rum. Uh, half ounce of peach schnapps, <laughs> half ounce of fresh lemon juice, and then you garnish it with an orange wheel. So let's try this concoction. <laughs> If this was in outer space, we'd Cheers. be floating. Cheers. That's good. And it's really <coughs> tang in my mouth. <laughs> in my throat. Don't inhale that tang. Oh my gosh. <laughs> tang is real. T- <laughs> it really kicked me in the mouth. The it's tang like, punched <laughs> me in the, <laughs> the, the tang mouth. is real. Now, can you imagine is it a punch in the mouth or a kick in the mouth? I feel like it's a punch in the mouth. A kick it. Your foot in the mouth as if you've said something wrong. Mm-hmm. A punch in the mouth. I don't know what it Remember, is. Remember, it was those commercials. Tang. It's a kick it's in, a the, kick mouth. in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. You're it's right. a kick in the mouth. It's not. Yeah. Ooh, except it's it kicked me cool. right in the throat. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, it's very good. And also, I cannot imagine inhaling <laughs> all of my food out of like Capri Sun packets, oh which is gosh. what they do in outer space. Because no, otherwise, it floats. No, thank you. I do love the guy from like the... <laughs> Canadian space station yeah. who posts all those really cute videos Let's and he's pause. like he's Canadian in the international space station is there a Canadian space station I don't know I don't think they have their own one yeah I'm I'm pretty sure he uses the international one <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> but anyways he posts some really fun videos he goes this is how you make pizza in outer space he's <laughs> very fun I love him I love him already so um, let me tell you the things I know about Sally okay. Ride. Okay, what do you know? She has brown hair. Yes. She wears a blue suit. <laughs> yes. She's the first American woman in outer space. Mm-hmm. And probably not the first woman woman, because Russia's always better than us. Uh, you're exactly right. Okay. <laughs> uh, there were two cosmonauts. And like, so that's kind of one thing. It's like, you can say she's the first Cosmo astronaut. Kramer. <laughs> 
you can say she's the first astronaut because technically Russian space travelers are cosmonauts. So isn't that just the same word in a different language? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, the first <laughs> senorita. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, tell me about Sally Ride, Sally Ride. Okay, Ride, Sally Ride. And let me again say that sorry about the second story. (laughs) It's always crazier. It is always crazier. Um, Yeah, because I'm feeling good because I'm a glass of wine and a cocktail in. So (laughs) I'm feeling good. And this is good because this story is going to get emotional. (laughs) Oh, buddy. (laughs) Give it to me. Sally Kristen Ride, Sally K. Ride, was born in Los Angeles, California to Dale Burdell Ride. He was a political science professor and Carol Joyce Ride. She was a counselor. Uh, She grew up in Encino, California, in an affluent neighborhood in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, She also had a sister named Karen Ride, um, who they called Bear. And that nickname, like, stuck with her her whole life. Everybody calls her Bear. And I think it's so cute. Is that going to be Bug? (laughs) Um, Why doesn't she have twin little siblings named Tootie uh, and Todd? I don't know. (laughs) She's missing out. Really? Uh, So Sally Ride grew up in California, and I did love this. I was watching a lot of interviews with her because there's not really much. Like, everything that, like, you read about her is kind of like the main things in her space travel and all that. And it's not as, I don't know, in-depth as I want it to be. But she said she remembered as a young girl in elementary school um, and having te- having teachers like bring a TV into the classroom to watch footage of the moon landing. Um, of course, it was like past footage because the moon landing happened a little bit before she was in elementary school. Um, but Barbie she, already existed at she that point. <laughs> and she um, remembers like watching this moon landing footage and she was so fascinated by it. But she had no female role models in space exploration. Like, no women worked for NASA. And if they did, obviously, as we know from the movie Hidden Figures, like... I was going to say, were they hidden? (laughs) They were. They were. Anytime you hear that noise, it's just one of our martini glasses (laughs) hitting the springs on the microphone stand. Mm -hmm, Don't mind. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If we do. So there were no visible woman, women working for NASA, no visible space women astronauts. So she was like, I had no one to look up to. So she was interested in science and math at a young age, but really her first love was tennis. Ooh, she looks she, like a tennis player. Oh, yeah, she does. She looks like Billie Jean King a little. Yeah, she, I thought <laughs> the whole time. She looks very much like Billie Jean King. Wait, maybe are Billie Jean King and Sally Ride just Barbie with her multiple careers? Are they the same person? Yes. That's what I thought. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, so she took interest in all of that, um, and her parents were super encouraging of all this. Um, she studied in Portola Junior High School, where she earned a tennis scholarship to the Westlake School for Girls. Uh, she played in a lot of junior tennis tournaments at the national level, so she traveled a lot with tennis. Uh, she was really, really good at it, and she really wanted to be a professional tennis player. Um, and so then she joined the Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania. That's not a thing. <laughs> it is, I promise you. Um, and after three semesters, though, she quit the college to pursue a professional tennis career. Um, but then after three months of rigorous training, she was like, I'm going to go back to school. (laughs) 
<laughs> so she goes back to school and she um, joins Stanford University in Palo Alto, California. And in 1973, she received a Bachelor of Science degree in physics and a Bachelor of Arts degree in English. And two years later, she also obtained a Master of Science degree at Stanford. Um, and then she started to pursue her doctorate. Really? Yes. Go ahead, Sally. I went to the PhD. So, in 1977, she's in her doctorate program at Stanford University, and she, according to her, is eating her scrambled eggs in the morning in the dining hall and drinking her coffee. She opens up the student newspaper and sees an advertisement for NASA, and they are like, hey, we need astronauts. Like, clip this out, apply here. So, she's eating her, like, waffles from the cafeteria oh scrambled eggs is what how the story goes i'm saying waffles okay (laughs) we can call it waffles (laughs) she's eating mickey mouse shaped waffles Mm -hmm. and she's okay Mm -hmm. she sees in the newspaper nasa asks for people yeah nasa is like hey guys we need some astronauts come and join our crew so she clips it out immediately and mails it in later that afternoon. Does she have scissors in her pocket? Yes. <laughs> Good. Sally says her hands. <laughs> um, I knew it was Tim Burton all along. <laughs> Sally says her pockets. Oh my God. So, um, and this was a really, really big deal because it had been 10 years since anyone had been accepted into the space program to train to be an astronaut. Mm. And also because this was the first time NASA would be bringing women into the astronaut corps. So she was like, absolutely, I'm fucking down. And, well, that's the whole reason they put the... Way to earn that explicit rating. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's why they put the advertisement in the student newspaper because they were, didn't know how else to reach qualified women. we'll just go to stanford i guess like so they went to stanford put it in the newspaper and eight thousand people applied so it's like uh let's let's get all the smart girls from one school well i think it actually think it was multiple schools so not just stanford but mainly stanford so all the ivy league oh yeah mostly ivy league and like specifically like science like programs and stuff i love it so um 35 people are accepted from those 8,000 applicants, and she is one of them. So she's going to school for astrophysics. She's accepted into NASA, and her dad is, like, so excited because (laughs) he told her, he was like, I don't know how to tell people what you do because he was like, because I don't understand it. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) So as soon as she told him, she was like, yeah, I got into the astronaut program. He was like, Oh my gosh, I know what that is. <laughs> so like then like he was like, I can tell my friends and like we all know what that is. And you're like, my daughter's an astronaut. And like, my daughter's going so cool. outer space. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. I just I loved that story that she told me and he was so proud of her. Like he right. really was. Um her parents were just so supportive. So- I imagine that's how George Roberts felt about Barbie's teen modeling career. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't. So from 1978 to 1979, she underwent a demanding uh, training regiment, which included parachute jumping, water survival, gravity, weightlessness training, radio communication, navigation, flight instruction, 
And a lot of this training was extremely physical. So one of the reasons that she excelled so much was because of her tennis background, because she was so fit. Because tennis players like really need to be fit. If you ever played tennis, it is an exhausting game. My goodness. Um, so she was like really, really good at it. And there were six women total in the astronaut corps for that like year. Huh. Um, so out of 35, there were six women. Um, but Sally was the only one picked to actually go into space. So after completing her training, she worked as an orbit capsule communicator. Uh, so what this was, was for a few years after her training, she worked in mission control. So she was in charge of communicating to the astronauts who were on the space, like out in space and on the space station. I feel like I saw that in movies. Yes. So Houston, we have a problem. Exactly. She's in the headset. She's in mission control. She's because they own, they got on the cans. Exactly. So they only want like one person talking to them because if multiple people are like talking and communicating, it kind of creates some issues. So she was the go-to person and she was extraordinarily calm when talking to the astronauts. And they said like just her attitude towards it and like the way she just kind of like any problem that came up, she was like, okay, no, we'll handle it. Like, Houston, we've got it. Like, Houston, there is no problem. Like, <laughs> Houston, not a problem. <laughs> I do. Do you think that they allowed or they accepted six women knowing that they were only going to put one into space? I think the plan was to eventually put the rest in mm. um, because some other women from her class did go into space, but one of them was on the Challenger that exploded, actually. Are you kidding me? No. Oh. We'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm going to vomit. So um, so she was really calm and sensible when she would talk to the people in space, and that made her really stand out to NASA. Also, just like she just excelled at like everything she did. She was so smart. She was so talented. And on June 18th, 1983, she became the first American woman in space as a mission specialist on space shuttle Challenger STS-7. Uh, so this was a five-person crew. And they were deployed, uh, they deployed two communication satellites and conducted pharmaceutical experience, experiments up in space. Hmm. Uh, she was also the youngest person in space because she was only 32 and she went up. Hmm. And it, it's so funny because prior to her first um, flight in space, like she was subject to so much media attention just because she was going to be the first you know, American woman in space. So people were going absolutely bananas. And she was on the cover of like every magazine and she was being interviewed all the time. And it's actually like, there was like, she had this really funny quote where she was like, (laughs) she was like, you would have thought that I was the only one going up in space the way they covered it. Like it was so crazy. (laughs) So, and then there's actually some footage that I was watching of her getting asked questions. It was like the whole flight crew was at this panel and they're getting asked questions. And of course, all the questions are directed at her. Um, some of the questions were, um, like in the movie Armageddon. I didn't see that movie. I actually don't like space movies. What? They very much scare me. <laughs> um, some Come of the on, questions. Tyler's adorable. <laughs> some of the questions were, will the flight affect your reproductive organs? And do you weep when things go wrong on the job? Oh my! And. There's actually footage of this, and I watched it earlier. And so he asks her that specific question, like, or, well, like, how do you react to situations, or will you weep? 
And she looks around and she just goes, why doesn't anyone ask Rick these questions? She was like, why am I the only one getting these fucking questions? It is, it is insane to me that one crying is seen as weakness and two, that it's only connected with women. I know. I don't understand that at all. And it, it's a sad situation. (laughs) It really is. And Sally was just like, uh, she said, I don't understand why the men are getting these questions. Then she said, no, but she was, but to answer your question, no, I will handle it just as everyone else on the crew will handle it. Like, and it sucks because she was like specifically singled out because she was very unemotional and very like, you know, simple and like connected to what she was doing. Mm. And it's like, like nobody in the media saw that. So they were just asking her these really sexist questions. I mean, um, but I think like, I think th- and this might be stereotypical, but women that are, and women and men that are into science and math are just much more logical and they can see a logical answer. So they're not as in touch with emotions. Mm-hmm. Whereas women and men that are into like the arts are just a little more in touch with emotional feelings. So it's insulting to both the men and women on the crew to be like, are you going to cry? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Is it Apollo 13? Am I going to die on the way back? I might cry. And, and a lot of the time she was just like, and like, and actually later in that same interview, because they're like, how do you feel about being the first American woman in space? And she was like, honestly, she was like, I think that you guys are making a much bigger deal out of it than it actually is. She was like, guys, come on. Like, it is 1983, which to me is like, 1983. Like, <laughs> But she was like, come on, it's 1983. Like, we're going into space and you're still asking me, like, how my boobs are going to fit into this space suit. Like, what the hell? Like, we weren't even born yet, Katie. We weren't even born yet. Me, you... No one. No one of importance was born yet. <laughs> the millennials didn't exist, so what kind of time could it be? Millennials started existing in 1980. <laughs> really? Three years. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Linda. <laughs> cut it out. Cut it out. That's the one, Linda. I'm so sorry. Okay. So, but she does, um, so she was obviously being really like, you know, tatted as the first American woman in space. And she actually told this really great story about when she got back from space, (laughs) when she got back. And so she's out and she's having lunch with a friend in New York. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And so she's having lunch with a friend and this random woman comes over and she goes, can I sit down? And Sally goes, all right sure. can you <laughs> did you mean may i <laughs> so she sits down with sally ride and she proceeds to tell her this story she's like i just wanted to let you know she's like my son is like eight years old and he's obsessed with space he has the jumpsuits he has the rockets like he knows like you know how the rockets work like he's so into it so of course he woke me up at 4 a.m to watch your flight take off so you know we got up really early we watched on the tv she was like, and then it was over. So I went in to make breakfast and I just hear him sobbing. And she was like, my first thought was like, oh my gosh, the shuttle blew up and like something terrible happened and like something like they died. So she goes back in and she's like, oh my gosh, what happened? And the kid's like, no, everything's fine. And she's like, are you okay? Like what's going on? And he goes, I just know everything's, 
everything's fine. She's like, no, like what's, what's wrong? And she goes, and he goes, I just, are little boys allowed to be astronauts? (laughs) (laughs) And it was just like this great moment of like, yes, like everybody can be an astronaut. Like, (laughs) that's so wonderful. I know. It's just such a cute little story. And Sally was like, that is a real story. Like that actually happened to me. (laughs) So, so they take off. The flight only lasted a few days. Um, it lasted six days, and then she returned safely to Earth on June 24th, 1983. Um, and then she went on another space flight in October of 1984, again on the Challenger space shuttle. Uh, that mission lasted for nine days and had a larger crew of seven members. And in this second flight, she was taking part in an Earth science experiment on board. Um, so she was in charge of operating this robotic arm from the spaceship. Um, And it would place a satellite out in space that would monitor greenhouse gas from space. Because literally, she said, when I unbeckled my seatbelt from the first time and the, on the, you know, space shuttle, she said, I floated over to the window and she was like, and I saw this weird, like blue hue. It's like a Royal blue hue coming from the earth. And she was like, what is that? And she was like, oh my gosh, that's the atmosphere. (gasps) And she was like, it just looked so frail and it looked so like just fragile. And she was like, I became an extreme environmentalist at that point in time. And she's like, and I've never gone back. Like, and so that became like a real big part of her life. So she puts this, you know, satellite, which is monitoring greenhouse gases and also, while all this is happening, she actually gets married to a fellow astronaut named Steve Hawley in 1982, but the relationship kind of fell apart, and they divorced in 1987. Mm. So, I was born by then. <laughs> I still was not. <laughs> I'm just putting markers here for all the audience. <laughs> so, and then she was actually scheduled to go on her third space flight in 1986. Did she change her last name ever? No, never. Good girl. Um, so she was scheduled to go on her third space flight and she was undergoing training for it. But, um, January that year, the challenger exploded after takeoff, which 1986, like 1986, that was the year I was born. Mm, and I know like hearing my mom talk about it was always very emotional. She's like, I was, you know, in the house and I was, everybody watched it. Yeah. Everybody was watching it. And she was like, you know, and, like we'd seen them before. So it wasn't like the first time where you're on like pins and needles. She was like, you know, I was vacuuming watching the shuttle take off and then it just fell apart. Like it was devastating, especially because that had two women on board. One was a teacher, teacher. and that was like a really big deal. A science teacher. Her class yeah. was watching it from <sighs> the classroom. Like our teacher's going to go into space for a couple days. Oh gosh. I have chills. Mm. horrible i mean it's horrible yeah miscalculate so, that's it, how important the calculations are oh my gosh yeah because i think wasn't the whole thing like what some people were doing it in like metric and some were doing it in english customary, english customary. I, if that's what people say i don't yeah. know if that's accurate yeah. I, I have no idea. i haven't googled <laughs> it enough but there is there is hearsay that if um, that might have been propaganda to get America to switch to the metric system, (laughs) tell little kids that it's the reason the challenger exploded. (laughs) Um, so anyways, because of this and then, you know, of course some of them were her friends. Like they were part of her class of army, like astronaut corps. Same thing. Yeah. (laughs) And so of course her next flight was canceled and, um, then NASA appointed a presidential um, commission 
to investigate the accident and she headed the commission's subcommittee on operations. So she was a big part of the investigations, like what happened. Um, and so after that investigation, she was allocated to the post of special assistant to the administrator for long range and strategic planning at NASA headquarters in DC. Um, so in this new role, she headed the first strategic planning effort by NASA and she prepared this like famous report called Leadership in America's Future in Space. Hmm. And then she was the director of NASA's Office of Exploration, uh, which she actually helped set up. So she's doing all this stuff for NASA. But then in 1987, she's like, but am I going to be able to fly again? That was her main thing. She's like, I want to be in space. I want to be doing that. I don't want to be working for NASA and just doing paperwork. And they were like, look, like we cannot send anyone up into space unless like we are sure that another challenger is not going to happen. So she's like, okay, well, like I'm retiring. So she retires from NASA in 1987 and she decides to go back to Stanford and she goes back as a science fellow at the Center for International Security and Arms Control. And she works in this role for two years Uh, And then in 1989, she joined the University of California in San Diego as a professor of physics. And she was simultaneously appointed as director of the California Space Institute. And here she conducted a lot of research on the theory of nonlinear beam wave interactions. It's something I've always wanted to know about. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God someone's doing it. (laughs) Good Lord. (laughs) It's about time. (laughs) That nonlinear... Ah, Institute. Now, this is something I do understand. So, in 1996, I was three, uh, she starts this thing called... People are piecing our timeline together. (laughs) (laughs) So, in 1996, she starts this thing called ISS Earth Cam. So, basically, there's a camera on the International Space Station. Mm -hmm. And so, she set up this program where middle school students across the U.S., could have contact with NASA. So they would tell NASA, hey, I want to photograph the Himalayan mountains. And mm-hmm. they would be like, okay, we're going to be flying over the Himalayan mountains at this exact time on this date. And so they go, okay. So they go into the classroom that date and time. And the kids would actually have a button. I don't know on what type of prehistoric dinosaur computer this was. <laughs> joystick. Yeah. <laughs> it's a joystick, Katie. <laughs> it's a PS1. <laughs> PS negative. It's an Apple Macintosh. (laughs) And they would actually be able to press the button and take photos of the Himalayan mountains from the space station. Did Sally Ride secretly come up with Google Earth? Yes! (laughs) That's my favorite. Yes. Yes, she did. She, like, and this thing was, like, really revolutionary. And, like, kids just, like, really loved it. And the program was, like, this huge success. Um, So... She was doing that, and then from 99 to 2000, she worked with the internet company Space.com. Um, so that deals with the, all the aspects of space industry. Uh-huh. Um, and then in 2003, NASA suffered another calamity as the space shuttle Columbia exploded yes. while landing, causing the deaths of all its crew members. And so because Ride had a, or experience with this, uh, she was appointed to the investigation board of that as well. Um, she also co-wrote many books over the years. Um, five of those are science-oriented books for children, um, including the award-winning The Third Planet, Exploring the Earth from Space. 
And in 2001, she founded Sally Ride Science, a company that makes engine, in, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> a company that makes engaging science related classroom programs and publications for school students in the USA, hmm. um, especially girls. And the main thing is that it also provides training for teachers so that teachers, like, even if their specialty is not science or astrophysics, like they can like teach it with a little bit more knowledge. Interesting. You know, because I feel like that's like the kids want to learn it, but sometimes the teachers are like, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. we, I don't know as much as about that as I should. And so right. like, they also had a curriculum for them. Um, so then at this time she quit her job at Stanford to like solely focus on this because she thought it was so important. Um, and then during this time, she's getting all these awards. So in 1988, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. Um, in 94, she's awarded the Jefferson Award, um, which is an award honored to, um, it is an honor awarded to individuals below the age of 35. And then in 2003 at the Kennedy Space Center, she was inducted into the Astronaut Hall of Fame. She's in all the Hall of Fame. She's in all the Hall of Fame. So you could possibly be in the NFL Hall of Fame as well. (laughs) No, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, though. Yes, that's what I figured. That's in (laughs) Cleveland, Ohio. Go visit it. Um, They're sponsoring this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So, and that, but then on July twenty third, two thousand twelve, at the age of sixty one, Sally Ride passes away. At sixty one, mm-hmm. that's so young. No, from pancreatic cancer. <gasps> cancer is like the theme of this episode. My I God, I hate cancer. Um, it was a seventeen month battle, and nobody knew about it. So it kind of came as a shock to a lot of people. Um, so her, cause she was a very, very private person. And of course her, her obituary listed all of her amazing accomplishments, but more importantly, it finally shed a spotlight on her partner of 27 years, Tam O'Shaughnessy. So she's not single. No, she was not single this entire time. Was she married? No, they were in a lesbian relationship, so they couldn't get married. Okay. And, like, they couldn't even be public about it. Like, So it was just a total secret. It was a total secret. I mean, obviously, like, their friends and family knew, mm-hmm. but to the public, like, nobody knew. So, and this is, like, it's just the sweetest love story. So they met at the ages of 12 and 13. They played tennis together all throughout their adolescence <sighs> and they like traveled on like the junior turn tennis circuits and they were really, really close friends. Um, but then when, when they went to college, they went to colleges on different sides of the country. And of course they always kept in touch. Um, but then when Sally was like on the East coast a lot, cause um, Tam was in Georgia, they would get together and uh, this was kind of when their relationship went to the next level. Hmm. And, but Sally was training to go into space and Tam actually was in like, Sally invited her to come see her take off. Cause you can only, you only get a certain amount of invites for like your personal friends and family to it's come like see college you take graduation. Off. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Three seats. <laughs> and so Tam is there at the launch with Sally's family and when Sally became a professor in San Diego, Tam moved out there to be with her. And then they founded Sally Ride Science together. They wrote those books together. 
And it's like this amazing thing when you find out all of this at the end of her life. Cause like you're looking back at all those pictures and Tam is there. She's there in the tennis pictures. She is there at the launch. She is there. Her name is on her books. Like it's like, she's everywhere. And it just has to be a secret. It had to be a secret and nobody knew. Everybody's just like, Oh yeah, they're good friends. Like, and meanwhile they had this amazing love and there was just like, I don't know. Like, and like, even now, like it's not really focused on in a lot of the things written about Sally ride. Mm. And so one of the videos that I watched that really got me like emotional and choked up was, so it's, um, Tam and she is talking about Sally and she just, you could tell she loved her so much. And so she's talking about her because she, um, was asked. So, the Navy decided to commission a ship for Sally ride. Mm-hmm. So they called Tam and they're like, Hey, we are going to name a ship after Sally. It's a research vessel that's going out to the ocean, just doing scientific research. And Tam was like, it's not a warship, right? Cause Sally didn't want that. <laughs> <laughs> no war for Sally. And they were like, no, no, no war for Sally. <laughs> And they're like, no, no, it's like just research. And she was like, oh my gosh, Sally would love that. That's amazing. Like, thanks for letting me know. And they're like, no, no, like we're calling you because we want you to sponsor the ship. They're like, normally when like this happens and we sponsor, we like name a ship after someone, the, you know, husband or wife of the person christens the ship and sponsors it. And you are Sally's partner. And we really want you to do that. And for her, it's like, she literally in the interview, she's like tearing up and she's like, I realized it, the, the era of don't ask, don't tell didn't exist anymore. Oh, and my she was God. like, and I just didn't know. And Sally didn't know. And like, we couldn't <laughs> enjoy that together right. ever. And, and she, so there's like this video of her and she has the bottle of champagne and, and she cracks it, it on the off. side of the ship. <laughs> um, heartbreaking. Oh That's it, heartbreaking. It really was. And it's interesting too, because like her, so Sally's sister bear, um, is also an openly gay Presbyterian minister, which is very interesting. (laughs) So she, like a lot of people were reaching out to her and they're like, did you know, why was it a secret? And she was like, that's just Sally. She was like, I mean, I'm very gay and out. And she's like, I've been arrested with my partner for like public display of affection. And like, but that's not Sally. Sally was focused on her career and she is, I love this too. She was like, she was like, well, she's very Norwegian. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, she's very Norwegian. And she had like, she was like in that tight lipped scientist community where like you don't talk about feelings and you don't talk about things. And like, so well, if you're, if you're somebody on that, like logic, linguistic, like side of the like knowledge spectrum, you just don't. Right. Exactly. And, and she just said like, my sister was a very private person. She had this fundamental sense of privacy. It was just her nature. Like she didn't even tell everyone that she had pancreatic cancer for 17 months. Right. (laughs) And, but I just thought that was really interesting. And then in 2013, following her death, uh, Sally Ride was posthumously bestowed with the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Barack Obama. Barry! God, I miss him. <laughs> we love you. The medal is the highest civilian award in the U.S. And 
they called Tam and they said, will you accept this award on her behalf? And there's this video and Tam is just like so overwhelmed because she's getting this award from President Obama and... It's just like something so out of the realm of like anything she thought was possible, you know, right. for her to be so openly accepted as Sally's partner. And, and everybody in the in the country is just like, yeah, cool. Right. And like when when Sally was a lot, Sally didn't even get the chance to enjoy. No, that. she didn't. Never. There was no. Yeah, cool. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, like her family was super supportive of it. Um, but and then Barack Obama said about Sally, she's he said as the first American woman in space, Sally did not just break the stratospheric glass ceiling. She blasted through it. And when she came back to Earth, she devoted her life to helping girls excel in fields like math, science, and engineering. Because she really did. Like, so many girls look up to her. And she just did so much for all these young girls who wanted to go into STEM. And, like, all the video clips of her just, like, at schools and at book signings. And she wrote so many books with Tam. And it's just awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> it makes me so emotional. Like It is awesome because, they, like, knowing that there are people who broke those barriers that make it okay to be a lesbian, that make it okay to be a scientist, that mm-hmm. make it okay to want to go to space. Like, none of those things were okay. Even like, right. like we were, like when Sally was first going to space, I was being born. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't okay for me to think that as a girl, but I grew up with people like Sally Ride. Mm-hmm. So I knew it was okay. Yeah. So there's a whole generation of women who are different because of people like her. Yeah. Well, and I almost think sometimes, like, I've been thinking about this a lot today. Like, I wonder if it was actually better for Sally in the end for it not to be as open that she was in a lesbian relationship because I feel like the LGBT community could have the potential to... Just like totally be like, okay, she's ours. Like, like that's all she is now is a lesbian. And like, she's this champion for gay rights. And like, that's that, you know, cause sometimes like kind of like the female thing, the female thing kind of totally overrode like a lot of the accomplishments she was making. Cause she was like, uh, I'm a great scientist. That's it. You know, cause Sally didn't really want to be, you know, touted as like the first female astronaut American in space or whatever. Well, no, I think it's hard to be in two marginalized groups. Yes. If you're going to be a female, then end gay. Mm-hmm. Like that's a super, that's much different than just being a female scientist. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? There's like, there's definite stratification between what you are allowed to be at certain times in history and still be successful. Right. And I hope it didn't sound like I was being like, they would take her away. Like no, the LGBT yeah, no, no. community. But it's like, to her, that was not the important part of her career. You know, to her, that was like, that is my personal loving relationship with my partner. And right. like, that is not why I went into space. That's yeah. not why I did founded all these things. It's not because I'm a lesbian. Like that is just for me to know. Right. And I think that that is some of the problem with what we see at present in the LGBTQ community is the idea that that's your personality. 
Yeah. It's not. Mm-hmm. that. Is, it, nobody ever asks me if I'm straight. Right. Nobody ever asks me, like, how my husband contributed to my career. So, like, when you start asking people who are LGBTQ how their sex life or their relationship life has affected their career. It's like a, it's like saying that you're not a whole person. Right. Which is the bit, which is the big problem that Sally Ride obviously was avoiding. Mm-hmm. And well, I think we should maybe get into a little bit of just the two of us. Um, cause I thought about this a lot actually in reference to a past episode we did. So our episode on Michelle Obama and Jackie Kennedy released today. Episode three. Episode three. And we're recording like episode hundred. <laughs> it's like, what are we on? Like six? I think eight. I think eight. eight. Yeah. Are you for serious? <laughs> You're pretty, a liar. I'm pretty positive. I don't know. And so I was thinking about this a lot because, uh, we were talking about how Jackie, Kennedy and Michelle Obama are very much like owners of their names. Mm. Like you would never say Mrs. Obama in reference to Michelle Obama. Like you just wouldn't. And you wouldn't really say Mrs. Kennedy. One, because there's a thousand Kennedys, but like, you know, they own their name. And I thought about that in terms of Sally Ride because she always had Sally K. Ride. That is her name. Mm. And Barbie (laughs) has her name. That is her name. She is not Mrs. Ken. McDougal Carson Carson (laughs) Barbie (laughs) Mrs. Carson Mrs. Ken Carson you know like she's never Barbie Millicent Roberts (laughs) (laughs) but like she's Barbie and Sally Ride is Sally Ride and she like owned her name and so did Barbie and so did Michelle and Jackie and I just love that that like they all owned like their names one of the really cool things that I thought about both of Barbie and Sally Mm -hmm. is that their career just is when you say Sally ride isn't was the first American female astronaut. It's just to the, to the common eye. It's just, okay. She was the first female astronaut. You don't know about her two bachelor's degrees and her master's and her doctorate and Mm -hmm. the training and the, this. And I think that you see that so much with Barbie I mean, she had a bazillion careers, but those bazillion careers were within 50, over 50 years. She had her 50th anniversary in the 2000s. Mm. So, like, there is so much that goes into being one thing. Yeah. And it's true of, it's true of men and women, but mm-hmm. often women get, like, the first thing. Like, yeah. you were the first blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well... That's one title, but it came along with 13 years of passionate work to get to that point. Right. Like they kind of, I feel like when you say like first female astronaut, it kind of makes it seem like, oh, they like had to put a female on board. So like they just picked her. Right. When it's like, no, like she went through like incredible, like rigorous training to do that. Like (laughs) astronaut training is a no joke. No, it is not. Like you have to do so much. Like you have to fly any sort of aircraft that comes your way. Like you have to, yeah. Like, cause that's the thing. Like every, like, I feel like most young boys be like, I want to be an astronaut. Like, yeah. Glenn Armstrong, whatever his name is. Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong. <laughs> God, my grandfather's rolling in his grave right now. Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> Buzzy boy. And, 
And I feel like their heart sinks when it's like, oh, like, you do know that, like, astronauts are, like, incredible mathematicians yeah. and, like, astrophysicists. And they're like, oh, I thought you just had to be a really good football player to be an astronaut. <laughs> no, like, yeah, it's insane. So there's an astronaut who comes to my school every year to talk, and he, Dr. Thomas is his name, and he's been in space twice. What? But, yeah. He was turned down to go into space four times before Why? they took him in the astronaut training because it is so rigorous. You can't just be like an astrophysicist. You have to be like the best astrophysicist. Right. And then you have to be the most physically fit astrophysicist. And you have to add something to the team that they didn't have. So mm-hmm. like if the mission is about going into space and having a newt lay eggs and see what <laughs> happens to the eggs, you have to be able to do that research. That's true. So like you, That's a good point. it's insane. Whatever they want to do, you have to fit that category. You have to be a real fucking scientist. Mm-hmm. It's no, it is no joke because even if you are a scientist and you're not the scientist they need, you don't fit the match. Yeah. You're out of there. It doesn't even matter. So, like, the fact that she was a woman and she fit the match. Yeah. It was like they were probably trying to get one woman at that point in history. But there were six women and she happened to be the one that fit. Right. It could have been any of the others. You were also, I am sure, perfectly, you know, qualified for the job. Mm -hmm. But they didn't fit what they needed. Well, and that's another thing I think that's really interesting about barbie and sally ride is they like i mean and we're, i'm talking about ruth handler yeah ruth handler was a female in a man's world and that's what sally ride was too yeah but ruth handler is not nearly as respected no you know even though like i mean obviously they had very different jobs but like a lot of the challenges were probably the same yeah you know like being a female business owner in the what was it the 40s yeah like that's incredibly difficult. And the fact that she's continuously listed as a co-founder. Yeah. She was the Mattel Barbie creator. Now, her and her husband, yes, co-founded the company. Like, spouses are totally, totally connected in that sense. But she would not have been allowed to right. found a company in the 40s. Mm-hmm. In 45 was when they founded Mattel. And her husband, Elliot, was like, yeah, she's my co-founder. So, like, props to him for being like, yeah, let's go for it. Right. And not just letting her be a silent partner. Yeah. Which (laughs) Which a lot of people do. I also wrote down the the idea that Sally was the youngest um, person in space. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, there are so... I mean, Barbie's 19. Technically, Mm -hmm. she has not aged since 1969 when she came out and she was president and you can't be president until you're 35. So she, she is the she's breaking all sorts of barriers. <laughs> she's breaking legal barriers. <laughs> Technically, you know, you, like there is this concept of the young female woman and what she is supposed to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And Sally ride exceeded that and i know like this episode's going to be weird because barbie and sally ride are so much less connected than some of our previous yeah episodes but i think it's crucial to look at the difference between the expectations of what a young woman with 150 careers is supposed to be Mm. and look like and act like and sally ride who had an actual 
bachelor's, master's, doctorate, fought really hard to become an astronaut and went to space, looks like, feels like, and acts like. Right. Well, and I, and like, the thing I like about the two of them is they exemplify what, like, like this really broad range of what women can be. Mm. You know, because I feel like, obviously, Barbie's a doll, so she can be what kind of whatever you want her to be, but physically, she is a young 19-year-old attractive woman. Right. <laughs> very thin. Like, yeah. And then you have Sally Ride, who is like this amazing champion for like women in STEM and women astronauts and women in space. And it's like this kind of thing of like, you know, I don't know if I've ever seen a picture of Sally Ride wearing makeup. Like, no. <laughs> you know, and it's like just these very opposite focus points for women, but they're also not mutually exclusive. Right. You know, like Barbie was an astronaut, you said, in 1985, which was right after Sally Ride took her first flight. Right. You know, or like right before it. It was right around I think Barbie was an astronaut in like the 60s. Was she? Yeah. Oh. But they did it right before the moon landing. Oh, okay. But not a real astronaut. So it was more like glam astronaut. Yeah, it was like glam. Hmm. But it like it was the idea of like women can do this too. Right. And that's one of the things I like about Barbie is like, yeah, I can be, you know, an astronaut and a doctor and the president. And I can also like, you know, be interested in makeup and I can be interested in fashion. And like, that's okay too. <laughs> you know, because I feel do you like. think I'm secretly Barbie? Because <laughs> <laughs> I do think that like a lot of young girls feel very like pushed into one bubble or the other it's like you're either a barbie or you're a sally ride Mm. and it's like you know i don't think that that is the point anymore and i love that like you know girls are growing up in a day and age where like i mean i don't know about all the stuff on the internet that they see but (laughs) but it kind of seems like they just have so many more options and so many more role models and it's just awesome and it makes me really excited. And I know that near the end of her life, Sally Ride was very optimistic about the future. Yeah. The the newest Barbie campaign that came out last year, I was totally shocked by because I didn't see it coming. So in the commercials, I'm hoping some of you have seen these commercials. There's like, um, it opens up and it's just this female brown hair professor in like a business suit and she's in the front of a lecture hall and it's like a you know real lecture hall with the seats that go all the way up to the top where they're Mm -hmm. just speaking and she's just saying things and the things that she's saying seem a little bit childish but they're still pretty adult Mm -hmm. and then it zooms out and like kind of fuzzies out a little bit and it's a little girl with her Barbie in front of a row of stuffed animals, like being a professor. And it's like, be what you want to be like hashtag Barbie. I did see that because the one I saw, it was so cute because it was like, like instead of like a, a, like an adult talking in like a, be like a childish voice or whatever. It was like an actual little girl. And she's like in the doctor's office. She comes in with her clipboard and she's like, all right, you ready for your examination? And the adult's like, what? And then it like does like a couple of those scenarios. And then it's like a little girl playing with her Barbies and it's so cute. And I think that, I think the major important piece of these two women is that 
Sally Ride was the actual thing that all little girls mm-hmm. are pretending to be. Yeah. Like, there are little girls from the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s to now who have sat in their bedrooms with their Barbies and didn't say, oh my God, what color shoes am I going to wear? Mm-hmm. They sit there and they pretend to be real grown-up professionals. Yeah. And Sally Ride was a real grown-up professional. So mm-hmm. we are pretending to be her. Yeah. And we have this little doll that helps us do that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> Whatever. Her Barbie's big closet is not because she loves shopping. It's because she needs all those clothes to do all her yeah. jobs. She needs all those <laughs> uniforms. She has a lot of jobs. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things you need to wear to go into outer space. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's cool. yeah, that's a pretty intense outfit there. It's really intense. <laughs> So, do you want to make a toast? Yes, I would love to make a toast to Sally Ride and all of the women who were firsts in an age where maybe they shouldn't have been the first. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. (laughs) And to all the women who are just, you know, those pioneers when there should have already been pioneers. There already should have been women who were known in science by 1980s. Mm. Like, There already should have been women who were famous for their intelligence and their grit and their hard work. And just a toast to all the women in STEM, because I really appreciate you because I am not a woman in STEM and Mm. (laughs) I'm forever jealous and in awe of your amazing abilities. Mm. And also to all of the people who feel like they cannot be out and open with their partners. Mm. Cheers to Sally. So... I had a very difficult like situation because I went into this very negative, like ready to criticize the body image of Barbie. And I, um, my toast is for all of the women who work day in and day out. And we're not talking about your resume and we're not talking about your abilities. And we're not talking about the fact that you own a company or the fact that you've had a career and are a mother and take care of a house and do all of these other things. Like we're not talking about your resume. We're talking about what you look like. And my toast is for women who are constantly being objectified instead of validified. Cheers. Cheers. So, all right. (laughs) You have any pop culture plugs? (laughs) I do, but it is also from the late 80s, early 90s. (laughs) That's my faves. Do it. Do it. Okay. So, as we said earlier, I just got back from a trip, and on the plane, I decided to download two movies so I could have something to watch. Was it territory? (laughs) Stop. No, it wasn't. (laughs) Hashtag Sydney (laughs) So one of the movies I downloaded, which was my favorite, and I have been defending this movie my whole life, and like a a lot of people love it, but I claim that it is the best sports movie of all time, and people wholeheartedly disagree. What is it? I would like to promote Rookie of the Year. (laughs) I'm saying it is at least in my top Two. I'm going to go ahead and say it. 
I think it's my favorite movie of all time. I'm going to say top one. I love that movie. Wait, above Space Jam? Yes. Above Harry Met Sally? Yeah, I've never seen that. <laughs> oh, can we have a movie night like on Saturday? Yes. Okay. Can Casey come? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would really love to recommend that movie. If you haven't seen it, it's so... <laughs> good and pure and it has so many good lines and just oh my gosh it's great it's so good gary Busey's in it and he's a psychopath but with a heart of gold and the the thing the thing too the thing too is that it is a sports movie but it is the heart of the movie is about henry rowan gartner and his mom ah mommy girl and his mom is a badass and i'm obsessed with her and if it wasn't such a plain Halloween costume, I'd go with her every year. I feel like badass moms are where life should begin. They're the best. They are. Oh, I love his mom in that movie. She's so great. Um, cheers to her. Oh, my gosh. Cheers Mary Rowan Gartner. <laughs> go ahead, Mary. But that's my recommendation for this week. Go watch Rookie of the Year. Even if you haven't seen it in years, it's so good. It will not let you down, I guarantee you. And also, old Coulter plugs are like ones where you you there's so many lines in it that are referenced in things oh, like yeah. family guy and think like other movies and stand-up comedies where it's like oh you're missing it if you haven't seen yeah them. so if you've ever wondered where the term funky butt loving comes from it I've is never, rookie i've never wondered that year <laughs> <laughs> i've never wondered that so my pop culture plug is a new york times number one bestseller and it's a children's book so all the moms out there it's an adorable book called Dear Girl, and it's by Amy Krauss Rosenthal and Paris Rosenthal. So I imagine that they are maybe sister-in-laws um, with the same last name. But it is a beautiful letter written as a gift to all different types of girls and things they might need to hear. So if you are striving for a very short picture book to read to your daughters or a picture book that you might need to read to yourself some days. <laughs> this is like the book that will give you like that little bit of courage to get through. And it is very, very beautiful to remind people of all the different um, ways that you can be a girl. Nice. That sounds great. It is good. You can read it in like 10 minutes. Yeah. When we're done. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Well, this has been Herstory on the Rocks. On the Rocks! Thank you so much for listening. And as we like to say on the podcast, well-behaved women. Don't lose their thumb drives. <laughs> <laughs> Rarely make history. <laughs> yeah! Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. You've 
been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in her story you would like us to cover, let us know on our email, herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. And if you would like to drink along with us, make sure you're not driving and follow us at Her Story on the Rocks on Instagram and on Twitter. We post the recipes a couple days before each episode so you can buy the liquor and join us. See you next week.